Lao Tzu, the ancient Chinese philosopher and writer who authored the Tao Te Ching and was the founder of philosophical Taoism once said, being deeply loved by someone gives you strength while loving someone deeply gives you courage. We all want to be loved. Even when we think we already have enough love in our lives, there is still a core feeling of desiring more love. Here's the challenge. Love can be elusive even for the most romantic of us all. Maybe you're working too much and realize that you have no space for your soulmate. Or maybe you even feel like you're broken in some way and not worthy of love and have given up. Or possibly you're in a relationship that feels dead and not going anywhere. As Landmark Education puts it, you might be cynical and resigned. Here's the key. Love will show up magically when we are loving ourselves from many sources all of the time. Without self-love, we attract all sorts of wonky experiences to show us how unlovable we are. I know this for sure. When I'm not loving myself as much as I could be, I attract a painful lesson to remind me again and again and again. Same for you. Life is really all about love. I'm not just saying that because I'm a father of a newborn baby. I'm saying that because as a teacher, and as a therapist, I've seen people basically choose between two things, love or something else. And what I've witnessed and experienced is this. When people choose love, they always choose right. I was asked to speak today on the topic of illumination, and it made me think about the way the light inside us all can shine. And my favorite way is through our love, which can illuminate in our relationships. The most important relationship that we'll ever have is the relationship that we have with ourselves. And next comes the relationships that we share with one another. As simply as I can put it, we are here on this very earth to love and to be loved. This was Billy Ward from his TEDx talk in Washington, D.C. in 2014. He's a licensed professional counselor and counsels student at Seton Hall Prep High School. His personal philosophy is love and be loved, as is mine, even though I slip up often and into patterns and make the mistake of not choosing love. We all have these pesky patterns that get in the way of our true state of being. I'm guessing you know exactly what I mean. Now, I simply believe this to be true. We will only allow someone to love us as much as we love ourselves. If this is true, where are you not allowing love in? Either self-love or love from someone else? Love is the answer. Let it be so. As novelist and poet Oscar Wilde said, keep love in your heart. A life without it is like a sunless garden when the flowers are dead. The consciousness of love and being loved brings warmth and richness to life that nothing else can bring. Now, keeping love in our hearts, I want us to be mindful of the two main tenets of the Face Your Dragon message, addiction and distraction. You will hear Ariel and I speak about this in this episode, but first, let's revisit this. Love addiction can be a challenge for many without self-love. Seeking happiness or love outside of themselves and another person or thing or substance or experience. I know I've had my moments of these and I'm guessing you have too. Here are a few signs of someone in this state. Finding it unbearable or emotionally difficult to be alone. Constantly craving and searching for romantic relationship. Mistaking intense sexual experiences and new romantic excitement for love. When in relationship, being desperate to please and fearful of the other's unhappiness. Now, these are just a few, but you get the idea. 
As I've mentioned before, I did a 24-month sober celibacy a few years ago. Let me tell you, that was some of the greatest growth of my life. Sitting in my shit, feeling everything, not running to people or substances or sex. You learn a lot about yourself when all alone for long stretches of time. I pray that more people, including you, actually take the time to be alone and sit. It will change your life. This I know for sure. There also comes a time when we can only grow so much by ourselves and we need someone else to support us, hold a mirror up, and challenge us by reflecting our light and shadows back to us. The key, I feel, is to be sure that you pick someone who is willing to grow with you, willing to stand in the fire, willing to love all sides of you, and is committed to your best and you to theirs. A truly evolved relationship that is growth-centric, forgiving, and compassionate. That's what we're all seeking. Now listen, we all have patterns. We all have ways of being that are not at our best. We all have some level of addiction and distraction that runs us. Just do your best. Do your best to be a person of integrity, of commitment to growth, of love. I love you. Welcome to the Face Your Dragon podcast, where we help you, a messenger with a mission, leverage your fear to amplify your voice in the world. On the show, we open up the concept that what you are most afraid of and most resisting are the very things that will set you free. With courage, with clarity, with contribution, you can have it all. This show will engage in deep, enriching conversation with thought leaders, best-selling authors, celebrities, athletes, icons, and regular Joes who have faced their fear and are now using it to create impact in the world. I'm Brad Axelrad, and I'll be your host. This week's guest is someone I have so much respect and admiration for. She spoke at my center back in 2008 to an audience of 100 enthused and moved leaders ready to receive her brilliant message of love, hope, and transformation. She was rated one of the top speakers at the center and everyone adored her, as do I. Ariel Ford is a leading personality in the personal growth and contemporary spirituality movement for the last 30 years. She started out as a literary agent and publicist for some of the biggest names in the self-help and spirituality movement, folks like Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, Luis Hay, Don Miguel Ruiz, Neil Donald Walsh, Marianne Williamson, and many more. It's an incredible lineup. Her sister is the late Debbie Ford, and we all thank you, Debbie, for your amazing contribution. Rest in peace, sweet soul. Ariel is the international best-selling author of The Soulmate Secret, Manifest the Love of Your Life with the Law of Attraction, published in a huge 21 languages in 40 countries, and has authored an incredible 11 books. She's a celebrated love and relationship expert speaker and is the co-author and co-host of Evolving Wisdom's Art of Love series. A longtime student of love, Ariel regularly presents workshops around the world. She's appeared in many national TV and radio shows, including The Today Show, CNN, Fox News, and more. She's married to her soulmate of over two decades in La Jolla, California. Listen in as this amazing soul shares her sage wisdom with us. Ariel, it's great to have you on the Face Your Dragon podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So good to have you. I remember the last time we played in in a context was at the law of attraction center i'm guessing about 2007 he came and spoke for an audience i put together there and, and that was good fun many were served and interesting to see where our conversation will go today I'm so curious okay <laughs> i'm ready awesome you're the soulmate secret what would you say that means to you how did that come about i know you've got a great story about how you attracted and live currently with your soulmate share that for a minute i woke up one morning at the age of 43 and I was lying in bed with my eyes closed, sort of 
padding around the bed around me looking for my 25 pound cat (laughs) and my cat wasn't there and I had this epiphany which was oh there's this huge empty expanse of bed oh my god I forgot to get married (laughs) and as I was lying there I started thinking about well how did it come to be that I was 43 and I had this very big successful career and a great life but I was all alone and I realized that I had been spending all my time and energy focusing on building my business not so much focused on my love life and I decided to see if all the law of attraction prayers and processes and rituals that I used to build my business with if they would work in my love life and I actually had no idea if they would or not but I put together a plan for myself and implemented it. And within six months, I met my soulmate. It was this very magical meeting. It was at a business thing. And on the day that we met, we both knew that we were meant to be together. Everybody that was with us knew it. Uh, Three weeks later, we got engaged. And a year later, we got married. And that was 20 years ago. So that's the super short version of how it happened. But what turned me from you know, running my business, which back then I was a book publicist and a literary agent. So my clients were Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, Marianne Williamson, Louise Hay, Don Miguel Ruiz, Neil Donald Walsh, sort of all the big wigs in the self-help spirituality movement. What moved me from being in that business to becoming uh, a love and relationship expert was something by surprise. I never anticipated it happening. Because what happened was after I got married, I became the poster child for every single woman over 40. And they would all come up to me and say, how do I get a Brian? (laughs) Like, what did you do? How did you make that happen? And I would share the process that I created for myself with them. And then sometime later, I'd hear back, oh, it worked for me too. And this happened for many years. People were saying it look, this, this is really great. You should write a book. And I didn't want to write a book. I'd already written several books, but I created an internet product on how to do it. And HarperCollins saw the product and made me a very nice offer to turn it into a book. So that's where the book, The Soulmate Secret came from. And then once the book came out, it ended up being published in 21 languages in 40 countries and sold really well. Wow. Yeah, I know. It was huge. People started asking me to teach workshops. So I ended up morphing from a literary agent and a book publicist into a love expert just because that's what got pulled out of me. And now I just feel like I'm having a good time every day because all I get to do is talk to people about how to find love and how to keep love. Uh, it's so cool. I, I have heard the story. It's been many years and I, I didn't know it got that big. That's amazing. Congratulations. I had no idea. It's really cool. So so it's interesting. A couple things came to light. I'm 44, never been married. And I, I sometimes am in recent years starting to notice that empty bed or empty nest thing going, whoa, did I, what, what did I do? What, you know, am I, am I broken? Is there something wrong? And, you know, and there's so many of us in this thought leader space that we, that we get our, our heart filled uh, in serving others. And sometimes that can become our baby or our, or our mate. I'm curious how you, that was sort of the defining moment that got you to shift and really recognize that something needed to change. What, like, was it, was it just, you just had enough and you kind of just sort of gave up, like threw your hands in the air or what, what was it? What was that shift in what dragons did you have to face right in that moment to make that pivot? 
Well, I think for me, it was just the recognition that I wasn't putting the right amount of time and energy and attention onto my love life. It wasn't like I didn't want to be with my soulmate. I was just having so much fun and being so busy and preoccupied running the rest of my life that I didn't invest in it. So so let's say you were a single dad of, of three kids, right? And you got fired from your job. There are two things that you could do. You could sit home on the couch, put your hand to your forehead and go, oh, woe is me. But if it's meant to be for me to have a job, a job will find me. Or you would do what any normal person would do is you'd go into action, update your resume, go online, network with people, go do interviews, and just assume at some point you would land a job. But what happens with people is they kind of live in this bubble of, well, if it's meant to be, love will find me. And nothing could be further from the truth because you have to put yourself out there. You have to be visible. You know, the FedEx guy is not going to deliver your soulmate to your front door. <laughs> you know? I, <laughs> so, so you have to, for you, Brad, you have to actually ask yourself the most important question, which is, is finding my soulmate, the woman I'm meant to spend the rest of my life with, to be married to, to share, you know, be my best friend, partner for life, lover, safe place to land, is that a priority? And if your honest answer is yes, that's a priority, then there'll be things you need to give up in order to make that happen. Like you're going to have to give up the fantasy that it's just going to magically appear. You're going to have to give up something to invest time into becoming visible to your soulmate, whether that's online dating, going to meetups, going on blind dates, not looking at your smartphone when you're out in public so you can pay attention to who's paying attention to you. There's lots of things like that that need to occur. But for women, it's even harder and more different because men, fortunately, tend to have a significant amount of confidence when it comes to being loved and lovable as compared to women who come up with all what I call love blocks, which are essentially, I'm too old, I'm too fat, I'm too damaged, all the good ones are taken, and the one that was got away. It's usually one of those five, if not all of those, which has them living in this world of no possibility. So what I know for sure with 100% certainty is that if you have the desire to have big love in your life, Having that desire is proof of the possibility that it will happen. Like Deepak Chopra always says, the desire is proof of the seeds of the possibility or you wouldn't have the desire. Now, what's also true is that there are 7.3 billion people alive on the planet right now. 7.3 billion, half of them are single. So there are literally hundreds of thousands of potential soulmates out there. You know, they're, you're tripping over them every day. You're just not seeing them because your attention is someplace else. What's so interesting about, about that is where our attention goes. I talk a lot about addiction or distraction and, you know, how we're, we'll, we'll sort of run from something into addiction or distraction. And, and it's so, I'm so curious to hear your sort of focus on the business. You know, a lot of us are in that. I'm certainly very business focused right now. And I'm wondering how to hold the possibility of both, meaning how do I and ever all the listeners attract someone when they're still focused on creating their, their big work in the world? You know, is that that fine line of creating the space for it or vacating the space, I like to say, 
and also still having some sense of mission or purpose. Okay, so here's my experience. So yes, I was a, a solopreneur. I had eight people working for me. I was highly ambitious and driven. And the thing that I didn't expect to happen when I met my soulmate was what did happen, which was essentially that now that I was being loved by ex- for exactly who I was, having that level of love, support, and devotion doubled my income within the first year I was married, and I wasn't working harder. I was, in fact, working less. So one way to look at it is that when you're in a loving relationship, life gets easier on a lot of levels. But nobody ever tells you that. Now, for guys, sometimes, you know, guys sometimes have this idea that uh, until I have a certain income level, I'm not ready for a relationship. I would argue with that and say, you know, the kind of conscious woman that you would want is not looking at you as an ATM machine. What she's looking for is a conscious man. And a conscious man is a man who's living his life on purpose and is mission driven. And you can be on purpose regardless of what the actual dollar amount is of your income. There's so much truth to that. And yet I'm as a man, as a conscious man out creating impact in the world, there's, I'm having a really serious push-pull conflict with that. I agree completely. I get it. I'm like, of course, yes. And in past experiences, I've, I've noticed that some women I've dated have really been focused on, well, you know, what's your income level? Or how stressed out are you from, from the mission you're up to? And there, there's, there's that challenge there. You know, I, I, I'll just speak for myself. I'm very driven. I've got this desire to to really do something with my life and create an impact. And uh, Sati and Raja and I spoke about that, how what is that thing in us that's, it's all a big story, everything's such a story. So I'm, I'm checking in with the story as you're saying that. How can I hold both? How can I remove the thought that I'm not where I could be to attract and maintain or keep the relationship I really want? Well, I would say that what you're stepping over is acknowledging where you are. Because any of us that know you, Brad, know what a huge contribution you are to the world. So you're holding it like you need to get somewhere someday. Mm, Thank you. And what if, yes, and what if where are you, where you are right now is where you're supposed to be? And that's enough. Like, could you just be with that's enough and that you're lovable enough with who you are right now, with the heart traits and qualities that you exude with the loving being that you are with the way in which you would devote yourself to the partner of your choosing and whether or not you ever made a million dollars or just enough to get by on you are still enough so it's really and and it's hard because it's a paradox you know in fact, I, I just wrote a note to Jack Canfield today because I want to have a conversation with him about this because as much as I try to teach people this they don't always get it. So in the law, the law of attraction states, we draw to us the people, places, and things that match our state of experience. So if we're in this place as unlovable, I'm loving, people like me, that will be your experience. If you're living in, I'm a loser at love, I'm never going to have love, I'm just, you know, I'm the one out of 7.2 billion that doesn't deserve love, that will also be your experience. So in law of attraction, we have to have clarity about what we're up to. So let's say the clarity is I'm committed to manifesting my soulmate. 
We have to feel in every cell of our body that what we've asked for is already ours. And then we have to be intentional and in action. What steps can I take every day to become visible to my beloved? And at the exact same time, we have to hold the detachment that we are detached from the outcome of this intention and this desire, that our life is already great and we have immense gratitude for the life that we have. And regardless of whether the soulmate ever shows up or not, we are grateful for life. And so that fine point of balance between intention and action and desire versus detachment and gratitude is the meeting point from which love can spring. Now, there's one other piece of it, and this is the quantum science piece. In quantum science, and this is stuff that's been proven, we have what is called the unified field. And in the unified field, there is only the present now moment. There's no past and there's no future. There's only the now moment. Also in the unified field, we are already connected to everything and everybody. So what is true on the unseen plane in the unified field is you are already connected to your soulmate. You don't know their name. You don't know what day they're going to appear in physical form. But you can begin the relationship right now today by beginning to have the conversation with your soulmate. And this is one of the reasons why I believe that Brian and I recognized each other on the day that we met, because I've been talking to him every day for six months. So it's a process that I call love before first sight. I want to insert this thought or quandary. Someone who's very freedom focused, myself included, I've always been that. And I, and I'm a, I commit all in in relationship. I mean, I'm sort of OCD or obsessive in that regard, or I just go all in like when, when, when I'm in or when I'm out, I'm all out too. Right. So there's that. I'm just curious the values piece if somebody's values are freedom and yet they still want love there's sort of that conflict there how do we collapse those two or integrate those two well are you familiar with attachment theory i'm curious to hear it from your perspective in this okay so in attachment theory there are three kinds of people there are the insecure anxiety types there are the avoidant type which values their number one freedom. And when they get in a relationship, they start to feel suffocated and they have no chance but to run because they can't go all in, they can't commit. And then the third type, which I like to call normal, but they have a nicer word for it. Uh, I can't remember what the word is. You know, they're, they're the ones that, you know, can be in relationship. What tends to happen is that the avoidant types and the insecure high anxiety types get together. So the high anxiety needs, they need constant reassurance that you're there with them, which drives the avoidant types away. Now, the avoidant types can be in relationship as long as they understand that that's their nature and they're honest and upfront about it. And they, you know, they just out themselves immediately and say, yes, I really want to do have a relationship and here's my core wound around it. So, you know, just because I maybe appear to pull away or I need more alone time is no reflection on my love for you. It's on my ability to be close all the time. Now, I have a niece that's an avoidant type who married an avoidant type and they're getting along just great. He's a homebody and her greatest need is to travel. She just left a job in a major metropolitan area where she was third in command to run the city. 
to become a flight attendant because of her <laughs> wow. to travel. You know, so he stays home with the dogs. When they see each other, they have a great time together, but they understand and respect that both of them need a huge amount of freedom. So if that, you know, and there's a book you can read called Attached by Dr. Amir Levine. He teaches at Columbia. He's a psychiatrist. So he explains this as it relates to love and relationships. So you might want to check out that book and see if that's it. And if it is, doesn't mean you can't have a soulmate. It just means you need to go in there understanding your true nature and then find the woman that isn't going to be freaked out about it. Right. But what I've, I've just recently been exploring codependency for the first time. I've, uh, you know, we're both uh, the Hoffman Institute graduates right. and I was actually the, the Orange County Hoffman graduate facilitator for a couple of years, like deep in this work for years. And as you know, or as I trust all the listeners know, we keep peeling layers back and layers back and layers back. What's come clear to me is uh, sort of the codependent triad or triangle, right? The, the, the victim, the perpetrator and the savior. And I've watched myself and watched so many I've been in relationship with and everyone, just everyone in my life go in and out of all those three places or spaces in, in the triangle. And it's, it's interesting to even admit and, and, and to come clean and say, wow, I've got some codependent tendencies. We all have tendencies of all these things, narcissism, whatever, right? Yeah. Attachment theory, it's just at different levels or intensities. So any comments around that? Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah, I, here's what's true. Werner Erhard once said, understanding is the booby prize. So you can have all the understanding of the world of why Brad is the way he is. But unless your life is changing and improving, understanding isn't any good. Right. So it's really about understanding, I would say, the work of Harville Hendricks. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Imago theory and therapy. But basically, Harville says the true purpose of marriage is that so two people can heal each other's deepest childhood wounds and that we have a built-in mate selector that unconsciously chooses the person who's going to cause us the most pain so we can have the most growth. Mm. He, he says that if you meet somebody and you fall in love and you get married and the relationship starts off as a dream come true and then devolves into your worst nightmare, that is proof that you're with the right person. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's so true, too. Oh. And yet, and yet we don't know that. So we go into shock, right? We're in this honeymoon phase and we're in love and everything is great and our brain is cascading, you know, dopamine and adrenaline and oxytocin and we've never felt so seen, heard and understood until the day it all stops. And then suddenly who's this stranger and why do I feel like my mother just yelled at me and why did what they say trigger this horrible memory of my father? Because, folks, that's what's normal. And yet we live like something's wrong when normal mm. appears. Mm, thank you. What a relief. <laughs> like such a release and relief to hear this. Thank you. Keep going. It's really good. Well, well, this is why I wrote my last book, Turn Your Mate Into Your Soulmate. Because we have this relationship. Oh, I've met my soulmate. Everything's wonderful. We're going to live happily ever, ever after. And I've heard relationships are hard, but he's my soulmate or she's my soulmate. How could it be hard? And then reality strikes. Let me give you another piece of reality that'll make you feel better. 
Um, there's a guy named Dr. John Gottman who is considered the world's leading researcher on marriage. He's at the University of Washington. And in his studies, he has found that every couple, not just some, but every couple has a minimum of nine irreconcilable differences. Okay, these are things on which you are never, ever going to agree. And yet we act like something's wrong. So it could be anything from, well, almost every relationship has a spender and a saver. You have an on-time person and the late person. You have the person who wants a lot of sex and the person who doesn't want so much sex. You know, there's lots and lots of ways that these irreconcilable differences show up. And the point of being in a, a mature adult relationship isn't always compromise, but it is to find creative solutions that are livable and workable and to agree to disagree. You know, I'm a saver. My husband's a spender. It was a huge, gigantic, massive issue when we first got together because he grew up in a very affluent family. I grew up in a poor family and I wanted to make sure I was never going to be a bag lady. So I'm very careful with my money and I'm very proud of my credit report. And, you know, I've worked for years on my poverty consciousness and I'd have to say I'm 90% better, but not 100%. You know, and Brian never grew up ever doubting that he wouldn't ever have a lot of money. He grew up with it. He got out of college. He made a lot of it. And it wasn't like we couldn't afford the lifestyle we were living. It was just the way in which I judged him as being overly generous. You know, and finally, I had to do the work on me. I had to get honest about my fear and my poverty consciousness and get really vulnerable with him and explain to him why I was in this reactive state and where it came from. And, you know, once he understood that, there was nothing left to fight about. It would just, you know, be, oh, I, I can see frugal Franny's showed up today, right? <laughs> And then I had to teach him how to shop sales. He had never bought anything on sale in his entire life. I'd never paid retail in my entire life. And then we came up with a structure that, you know, we had my money, his money, and our money. And then we had an agreement that in terms of our money, nobody spent $500 unless we had a conversation about it to make sure we were in agreement. And that pretty much solved the problem. But was it easy? No. Was it frightening? Yes. Did I understand it when it first came up? Absolutely not, because it never occurred to me that somebody would handle money differently than I would. So one of the concepts of the Fascia Dragon brand and podcast is really that what you're most resisting and most afraid of are the very things that will set you free. And I would, the, the concept that money being one of the, probably the biggest issue almost, maybe, maybe sex being second. Oh, it is. Yeah, right? money's number one. It, it has to be. So you guys worked it out, and now I'm guessing that you're a million times stronger because it was this big conflict that you came to this incredible agreement on. Can you speak to how that really impacted the future of your relationship? Well, okay, so so what would you say the benefit is, is every time you see your husband pull out his credit card to pay for dinner for six people and you're having toxic judgmental thoughts, <laughs> That, that's not only bad for the relationship and bad for your sex life, it's bad for your own personal immune system because the Institute of Heart Math has already proven that anytime you have angry, toxic, or judgmental thoughts, you suppress your own immune system for up to eight hours. So did it change everything? Absolutely. Do I still have a preference on how I think things should be done? I do. I'm just no longer triggered by them. Got it. What a, what a cool shift that's been. 
So let's kind of shift gears a little bit. So what would you say are the main fears of people either getting in relationships, staying in relationship? What do people have to face in that, especially as entrepreneurs? Let's keep that context of solopreneurs, entrepreneurs. That's what most of the listeners are. What, what do they run into? Well, here's what we did. Okay, so, so Brian had always played team sports and he played professional sports. So his whole orientation is working together as a team. I never played team sports. I always ran my own business. I only, I never consulted with anybody. I always did things my way. And then we got married and opened a business together. <laughs> Talk about trouble, you know. Yes. Um, I'm somebody, when something crosses my desk, I get it off my desk as fast as possible. People used to call me speedy because I could turn things around so fast. Brian likes to sit and marinate and mull over things, sometimes for up to a week at a time before he takes action on it. So suddenly we had these very different ways of doing things. So, you know, if if something happens in the house and needs attention, I'm calling the plumber or the electrician instantly. If there's something that Brian needs to take care of that's in his bailiwick, you know, he may sit on it for a week to 10 days to six months. Who knows? So I had to actually learn his decision-making and implementation process and respect that because, A, you can't tell an alpha male what to do anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And, B, you know, who's to say it's the right or wrong way to do it? I was getting things off my desk because I just can't stand to have things holding me down or waiting. He would hold on to a contract that needed looking at because he's a perfectionist when it comes to legal documents and he wanted to reread it four or five times before actually beginning to edit it. You know, I'm kind of like, I'm, I live in the world where if something's good enough, I'm ready to let it go. That's not always the best way to be. It's just how I am. You know, so I had to learn to respect, respect being a key word when it comes to men, respect and appreciate his process. Got it. And for women, what would you say that core thing is that we really need to tune into? You said okay, res- so yeah, respect for men. Yeah. So, yeah. Where, where women really screw it up all the time is that they think that the number one thing most men want is sex or love, neither of which is true. The number one thing men crave is respect. And there's been studies done on this. 78% of men say they'd rather have respect than love or sex. Respect is critical. The other place they really blow it is that you should never tell a person of the male species what to do once they're over the age of five unless they ask you for your advice. So women think it's okay to freely offer their advice and their opinions and their coaching when it's not asked for. And it's often not appreciated because men like to win. And they hear your advice as criticism and that they're losing, not winning. So it's really important to understand that men's brains are wired totally differently than women's. And I, I actually have a free chapter from Turn Your Mate Into Your Soulmate called Understanding Men. And if anybody wants to read it, all they have to do is go to um, soulmatesecret.com slash men soulmatesecret.com slash men, and you can download the Understanding Men chapter, which explains all of this in great detail, including how, when, and where to have a conversation with a guy, and all of that that will, that will 
not only changed the whole tone of the relationship, but it's also a way to get anything you want out of them without looking like you're whining, begging, or harping on them. Oh, we're so simple. You just, just set it up. and, sure. and yeah, it is. It, we are really easy once you understand how to navigate us. And um, So easy. Yeah, I remember when, uh, I think you might have been at the Association of Transformational Leaders this time in Ojai. I thought you were in Ojai. Maybe no, not. No, I didn't make it. Um, I was the MC that weekend, and John Gray came and spoke. And I said, John, what's the one thing that one little tip of one little tidbit of advice that you can give me. And he, he said, uh, Brad, when, when, uh, women come home, a man should, should like hunt for them. Honey, where are you? Honey, where are you? Honey, where are you? And grab her and kiss her. And then when a, <laughs> it was great. And when a man comes home, all you need to do, all she needs to do is cheerlead, like applaud you. Yay. He's home. He made it home. Like just the simplest thing. And my girlfriend at the time that I lived with, we, we tried those and it worked really well. It was just the simplest little thing. We both felt seen and loved and and then the other thing that he said was, at the core, women really want to feel cherished and men really want to feel honored. Right. It's just so simple. Yeah, he's, John's so smart. He's really, I just adore him. I've learned so much from him over the years. Well, one of the things that uh, men and women don't really know about each other, and I've learned all this directly from John, is how hormones impact your relationship. So when women are stressed out, they deplete the level of oxytocin in their system. And oxytocin is the bonding hormone. They call it the super glue of love. And it lowers their estrogen and it raises their levels of cortisol. So when they're stressed out, they get mean and nasty and bitchy and angry and difficult. And they need to consciously find ways to replace their oxytocin levels. And it's actually quite simple to do. You can do it by getting a manicure, a pedicure, getting your hair done, a foot rub, laughing with your girlfriends, going shopping. You don't even need to buy anything, just touching and feeling stuff, uh, getting a 20-second hug. These are all ways to increase oxytocin. But for men, when they get stressed out, they need to rebuild their testosterone levels, and the way that they can do that is, you know, if your guy walks in the door after a long day at work and he's noticeably stressed, hand him the remote control and his favorite alcoholic beverage, lead him to the closest TV and tell him to relax and watch his favorite sports program. That's the fastest way he can rebuild testosterone and he'll love you for it. Or that you can chop wood or you can work out or you can hang out with the guys. Mm. But saying, you know, oh, you're ignoring me, we really need to talk, is not going to get you where you want to go. You know, give the guy a half hour, an hour to go recharge himself. And then after you've read my chapter on understanding men, talk to him in the way that's going to get a response and then you'll get anything you want. Oh, it's really good, Arielle. I'm uh, so, so grateful to be in this conversation. One thing that we challenge on the Face Your Dragon podcast is really around the addiction to biochemicals, right? So the things that we do, I'm so, there's that paradox of, yes, we all need oxytocin or, or testosterone or uh, estrogen or whatever it may be, dopamine, I find that it's when, when it becomes an addiction, you know, a social media addiction, like, look at my picture. Let me see how many hits I can get or dope or likes I can get. Right. Yeah. It's really sick. We do yeah. have, do have a dopamine addiction in this country. And, 
you know, one of the things you need to do is have some discipline around it. So like, like my smartphone goes to bed every night at eight o'clock and it stays in the kitchen where it's, I'm not going to see it for 12 hours. Brilliant. Right? Brilliant. It goes to bed. Do you know that 75% of teenagers are now sleeping with their smartphone under their pillow? Okay. So not only are they having this intense social media addiction and texting addiction, they're actually doing horrible things to their brain because of all the frequency that's coming through the phone, going through their soft brain tissue all night long. So if you're a parent of a teenager, you have got to set some boundaries and get that phone out of the bedroom so they can sleep well and not be poisoning their brains. That's crazy to hear. I mean, I sleep with it most of the time next to my bed, and it and it's such a weird thing. You wake up in the middle of the night and, and check it. I like putting it in the kitchen. That's brilliant. Yeah, but... you can't have it in the bedroom. It's just not. It's just not healthy. You know, you got to yeah. give yourself a break. And you know, there are a gazillion soft addictions out there. Right. And you just have to understand, is it something I have control over or have I become obsessive about it? <laughs> you know? oh, it's so good. All right. So, so Ariel, what, do you, what are you up to now and where does everybody find you? What, what's shaking? Well, um, the newest thing is that I've just come out with the world's first transformational coloring book. It's called Love by Design. And on the left-hand page are directions on how to manifest a soulmate. And on the right-hand page are illustrations to color in and make a, vis- uh, a visual representation of what you're manifesting. So it's very cool. It's, in, uh, it's on Amazon. It's called Love by Design. And the easiest way to find me is at soulmatesecret.com, soulmatesecret.com. And I have a tab there called Free Stuff. And there's lots of cool things you can get there. Awesome. Very, very good. So what would, what would you say the one final sort of tip or action step you recommend everyone take? If you're up to really wanting to manifest a soulmate, what I know for sure with 100% certainty is it's absolutely possible for everybody. But it requires that you commit to spending a little time and energy and intention and attention and money towards it. And I would say a minimum of 30 minutes a day focusing on manifesting love. So that might include online dating, doing what I call feelingizations, which are guided meditations, uh, meeting new people, having an accountability partner about what you're doing to be visible. But you know, you take control of your love life because you can make it happen. But if you're not going to do anything at all, then we could talk to you a year from today and you're still going to be alone. So impactful and so accurate. I'm, I'm just feeling into all these different layers as you're, as you're sharing all this stuff. It's really great. I'm sure everybody else is too. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, so thanks again for joining us today. I really, really honored to have you and I look forward to, yeah, I look forward to playing with you more in the future. Thanks, Ariel. You're welcome. I want to thank our guest for sharing her heart and brilliance with us. Thank you, Arielle Ford. We're all so grateful for your contribution to the world. You can find out more about Arielle at soulmatesecret.com. As we dive deeper into facing your dragon, I want to offer you the opportunity to discover the number one hidden fear stopping you from earning what you're worth. Be sure to take the one-minute quiz at couragequiz.com. And if there's something here I mentioned that you want to review again, keep in mind we keep all the notes for you, including links to everything we talked about today. You can find the show notes for this episode at faceyourdragon.com, episode 007.
And finally, I would like to invite you to subscribe and leave a five-star review for the Fascia Dragon podcast by visiting fasciadragon.com forward slash subscribe. Be sure to share this episode with your tribe on social media if it was useful for you. We'd love that. And join our conversation in the Fascia Dragon Facebook group as we talk about your greatest fears being the very thing that will set you free. Tune in to episode eight because I'll be talking with some badass musician friends who've been on Conan and opened up for Coldplay and Pink, The Kin, The Brothers Corin, Torald and Isaac Corin. These two dudes are not only amazing and famous, but have huge hearts and share from a very raw and vulnerable place unlike anybody else has so far. As we discuss how opening up for Pink and her 20,000 fans shifted their perspective on so much and how divorce and life-altering events in our childhood can change the course of our our lives as adults and create our big work in the world these incredible beings and many more on the face your dragon podcast see you on the next show and remember when you face your dragon and take the leap you will break free